Ladies and gentlemen, this is a cool bonus episode. So I had the pleasure of speaking with my good buddy, Chris Stefanik. He's the host of Choice Conversations. Um, Chris is actually from Ohio, so he stopped through, hung out with me and Rich, stayed the night at my house, and uh, got to see the farm. And then uh, I met up with him in Bowling Green uh, when I was on my way to my cousin's wedding. And him and I talked more and and just kind of um, just talked about different things, man. So, But Chris and I decided we wanted to record again. We've recorded a couple times in the past, so you can actually find some old episodes of Chris on them. But Chris wanted to interview me because uh, I'd talked to him a lot about how I had escaped the rat race and everything I did. And I haven't, I, I covered a lot of stuff with Javin, um, but I, I covered a lot, I cover a lot more in this, so hope you guys enjoy this episode and now let's talk about what this podcast is brought to you by so my good buddy cody schlegel where i'm storing my cooler you guys may have heard him on a previous episode he wrote a book called junction um so if you actually go to amazon.com and check out junction it's a great book um basically if you guys are uh let's see he had me, uh, he had, he had something, just do your own thing. So, uh, that's what I'm trying to do here, Cody, cause he's going to listen. He's a patron as well. Um, so, but it's a great book. It's a great book about, um, it's pretty anti PC and it's like, a either the more, I think middle America crime story. So it's about a, a family in Iowa who's a bit of a crime family and they get in to get in the, uh, that there's just different things and kind of different, uh, I guess I like to say like hillbilly crime. So I think the, the movie Logan Lucky kind of hit on the spirit. And I think the spirit that what Cody writes on is very real and it's something that we all resonate with, but it's a great book. I, uh, I, I read it. Um, I was actually privy to reading it before it even came out and just thoroughly enjoyed it. And Cody's writing part the second book now, the sequel, and he he teases me and lets me read chapters sometimes. That's son of a gun, Cody. And pretty soon there's going to be an audio book coming out soon um, that I'm going to hopefully be a part of. So check out Cody's book, Junction. I'm a huge fan. Um, and that is it for sponsor. So that's the sponsor for the day. Now, for affiliates, Grant Schultz, if you're still looking, newfarmsupply.com. Um, go there. Use code word sample. Save 10% off all t- 2018 nursery stock. Uh, it's, everything is priced well. Um, and outside of that, audibletrial.com forward slash sample hour. So right now I'm reading Intellectuals in Society by Thomas Sowell. It's a great book so far. I hope you guys enjoy it if you do choose to get a book. But guess what, guys? You can choose any book you want. That's what's great about it. And last but not least, least, Profitable Urban Farming. Um, If you guys want, you can save uh, $100 if you click on the first link in the show notes. And then secondly, um, what I would secondly what is wrong with me so if you click on the first thing the show notes and then the second link will actually give you the uh monthly plan 
Um, and then if you guys just want to become a patron, so again, this episode's coming out to patrons early. So I actually lo- uploaded this episode and the previous episode all on the same day, trying to get become a good podcaster again. Uh, you guys get episodes before they come out. So, and that's if you want to support me with anything. So check that out. Or if you want to do a one-time donation or a contribution, because I'm not a charity, you don't donate, you contribute. Um, you can through the PayPal link in the show notes as well. Um, and then if you have any Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum or any cryptocurrency as well, I would be more than happy to accept that. And I can give you guys my wallet information. Just shoot me an email, thesamplehour at gmail.com. So with that being said, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode and I look forward to bringing you guys more episodes soon. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, escaping the rat race. So, let's talk about escaping the rat race for yeah. sure. Yeah, so you know, this is something that I a topic I find fascinating. I find it uplifting. You know, motivational. Uh, anytime people can can get out, and there's multiple ways to do it. So I, I like to get into the nuts and bolts as well, just because it's good to know what your options are. Because people, I don't know what what people think their options are to get out of the right way, so why they're why they can't. But look at what how you did it, and then you know we can dissect that a little bit. But I guess before we start starting with that, why don't you just take us back in time a little and tell us about like what your situation was before you escaped the rat race? So that's a great question. So I I'd kind of um, I feel like I've been trying to escape the rat race since I was twenty two, um, and I like had some failed network marketing ventures. But it got me started and it got me in the field of sales because that's that's what actually got me into like personal growth and self-development and reading books. And, you know, I read a lot of John Maxwell and Earl Nightingale and, you know, of course, Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. I was like when I was 22 and then it took me like a really long time to to figure out all the skills necessary because it, it was it was fun to to have that stance of people should quit the rat race and to to be that voice but to to actually be prepared and have that skill you know something something Robert Kiyosaki talked about rich dad poor dad which was one of the it's like the second book I read in my entire life like all the way through I never read any books in school cuz I I hated school and and I thought I I just it wasn't fun and so I I never associated reading with pleasure until it was like, well, the more books you read, the closer you're going to be to to having the dreams that you want or living those dreams that you want. So then, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, I, I would, I, I was really adverse to sales for a long time, and you know, Robert Kiyosaki said, you know, the the most important skill you can learn is to learn to sell. And he talked about before he got started in sales or in as a as you know, rich dad and and everything else. Um, and his real estate business, it was, you know, he was selling Xerox printers before anybody had fax machines or, or anything like that. 
he was a guy that he was a salesperson that pioneered that technology. Um, and he learned to sell with that. And so, um, I remember I, I was trying to get a job initially after reading that bank, that book in the banking industry to kind of learn about banking more. And thankfully that didn't happen. And I needed a new cell phone. This guy offered me a job to sell phones at the kiosk. Cause he said I could save a lot of money on my bill cause I was, I needed a job and I was trying to, um, I was, I was doing the, I was trying to do this network marketing business and I was, you know, ringing up my parents' phone bill and it was kind of like giving the ultimatum. Well, you know, you can quit that business or you can get your own cell phone bill. And it, it backfired, uh, much to my mom's chagrin and I got that cell phone and then I got that job. And then from from there, um, I got really good at sales because I kept reading books and I kept like just studying, just listening to like a lot of tapes and CDs, as they used to say. It was before actually Audible, I think, came out later that year, but it wasn't on smartphones yet. Like it was only on a computer. And um, but like so, I would just uh, I would actually find a lot of like books and, and books on tape and everything just from the internet. So I'd listen to. A lot of stuff when I was driving my car or if I was just sitting around and just trying to like apply these skills to get better at sales. Um, so then I, from there, like I was, I think I was making like 12 bucks an hour with spiffs and then I was still trying to finish school and burning out quickly. And then, uh, I was offered a job at Verizon or I was recruited and told to apply by a lot of people, uh, working for Verizon wireless because I kept taking sales from their guys and they were making a lot more money than I was. Um, so I got recruited into Verizon and then like, and it was, and I took that job because I was like, you know, that now it's going to be easy to easier to pay for this network marketing business. And it was always, I took, I took a better job, um, to fund business. And that was, that was my idea back then. And then, Something happened where I I kind of realized that network marketing wasn't for me, and then I I didn't have any more light at the end of the tunnel. Um, which for me, when you're trying to work escape the rat race, that's what you need to have. So I just kind of lost focus, and then I I kind of went down this path of you know drinking a lot, and you know I, I put on like seventy pounds, and just got yeah I got I got super depressed, man, and then I um I decided uh you know, after just trying to, to climb the, I decided, you know, I needed to get out of Toledo cause I wasn't really sure what I was doing with my life. And I think I was like 26. So then I, I moved back down to Columbus and, um, and I had this, uh, I decided I wanted to try to move up into corporate America and because I, they'd always have me train new people. And I was like, you know, they, they have to see that I can, you know, duplicate. And I had all these concepts from wanting to be an entrepreneur. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to apply this into corporate America and I think it should translate well, but it just never really did. Cause I was still very opinionated. And I thought if I thought something was fucking stupid, I would say, well, that's really stupid. Why are we doing it this way? And I wasn't, I, I just, I didn't, I wasn't the most tactful and, uh, <laughs> and I'm it's shocked, just like, truly, yeah, go figure, go figure, you know, my contrarian self. And, um, and so then what happened was, is I got, uh, they like changed, they kept cutting my pay at Verizon and I was trying to get, they, they'd actually raised the pay in the stores and I, I always worked in a kiosk. So when I was in a, a cell phone kiosk like that, 
I'd stop people to sell them stuff. I mean, I was really good at belly to belly, quick prospecting sales. Like I got really good at it. And I'd realized that when I would help my stepmom with her business. And so my stepmom had her business and, uh, she was a, she's an artist and, you know, I would, I remember just, it was something that really actually helped our relationship because I think I, you know, I had, I always had a rocky relationship with her for a while because, you know, she wasn't my mom and I'm really stubborn. And I was like, you know what, <clears throat> you know, it'd really help out is if I went all in and got really supportive with her art, um, because she really does have cool art as much as I didn't want to believe it because I was just a, a little shit kid. Um, so I, I would help her with sales and we, they would go from like, you know, selling like $200 in art and I'd show up and we'd be selling over a thousand. So, because it was just, it was like that, it's a skill. It was a skill set that I'd learned and, and it was something that was a big confidence booster for me. And it was getting me out of my head of, uh, and starting to get myself to remember why I wanted to quit the rat race to begin with. And then, um, so, you know, I, I had this skill set of like being able to do like tent sales and, and everything else like that. And then going to uh, Verizon, I, I was stuck in the kiosk and I was trying to get out and I and I had this opportunity to go work at Time Warner Cable. Um, but I, I, you know, with the alcohol, like I'd, I'd been down this long path of sabotage, self-sabotage. So what ended up happening was, is I, I'd failed my background check. And I had just gotten a DUI and I was all worried that I wasn't going to be able to get into, um, I wasn't going to be able to get into, uh, Time Warner because of my DUI, but I forgot that I had this disorderly conduct, which was also from an incident of, of being publicly intoxicated. And I, I pissed outside, um, in this parking garage and I, luckily it wasn't indecent exposure cause I wasn't exposed, but I got a, I still got a, like a ticket and it's on my record, public urination and all this stuff. And, um, and I forgot about that. So they, they had said, yeah, you, you failed your background check. So, um, your offers rescinded. And I just kind of quit my job. Like I, me, I had it out with my boss who was this, this, this asshole cokehead. And, um, so then I like, I don't have a job and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? And then I kind of had this like memory of, you know, you, this is what you always wanted. Like you don't have any business prepared. You don't have anything like you have your time and your freedom. And so, you know what, you just don't have anything in place to, 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 to make money. Like you have nothing to replace your income. You have no backup businesses or anything. Um, so I ended up cashing out my 401k and I started my podcast. Um, and, and then from there, like I was, I was working out a lot of stuff, like trying to figure out why, uh, you know, it working on myself a lot too, especially after I got that DUI and the public urination did. So I started, you know, getting into what, why I was coping with alcohol or eating and just really kind of going through my coping mechanisms, um, because it, there was like some huge disconnect. It went from me being, you know, this 22 year old kid who's reading a bunch of books and, and trying to better himself and wants to be this entrepreneur to being, you know, stuck. Um, because this company kind of owned me cause I was making 60 grand a year when I was like 23 and didn't, you know, and I was living in Toledo, Ohio, which the expenses aren't high. So, I mean, I was making really good money and I didn't, I, I just didn't have the, the discipline or, 
I didn't have, I wanted to party instead of, you know, actually buckle down and figure something out. But it was like, I was more interested in, in having that moral superiority of saying I'm, I'm an entrepreneur or, you know, I, someday I'm not going to work for somebody else or, you know, you're just a slave when you have a job. Like I, I, I knew this and I believe this, but I wasn't, I wasn't acting on it. Um, so through the podcast and kind of like through this venture of diving deep in Liberty, um, we had started, I, I just kind of started trying to surround myself with, with other Liberty minded people and especially like entrepreneur type people. Um, and I, I was really into Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, and it was before, you know, 110 other million people were as well. Like it was still kind of early on. It was back in 2012. Um, and they, they'd had some, some shows that had come to the Columbus and, uh, there was this big group and people that starting to network, um, that were fans that liked, you know, a lot of the, the, the lesser comics. So, you know, one thing I decided I wanted to do along with the podcast was try to have like a backup business was to try to have this business to, to go. And so we started and I, and the tricky thing was I still didn't have my license and I couldn't really afford to get my license. So I, I'd end up, um, getting another job, but it was just so I could, you know, pay my bills. So I'm just trying to figure out ways that I can pay my bills. Cause I just figured out, well, if I can get my bills low, um, you know, then I can, can have, I can just live, live enough. And I, and I was planning on just really trying to figure out how I could stay in that. So we started, we started like promoting comedy shows, um, throughout like 2013 and a lot of stuff like going my one buddy was going to Toronto and I was helping promote the shows from here. And we kept putting on these comedy shows in Toronto. Um, but I, I, like I couldn't go because I didn't, my passport is, had expired and I didn't, I really didn't have the money to, uh, re up it. I didn't have the money to get my license back. So it's kind of like in this weird, um, dead state, but I, I just kept, you know, building myself with, you know, via the podcast, having interviews, gaining more confidence, um, going down like the path of Liberty. And then in the fall of like 2013, um, the guy who had originally hired me on at time Warner said, Hey, once this tiring hiring freezes up, I want to, I want to hire you back. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have like a lot of, cause at the time I was like, I was a door guy. I was only working like four days a week. I was, I would like, I was a Samsung rep. I, I decided to go back to school for a little bit to, to figure stuff out and, see if I, I thought I maybe wanted to be a journalism a journalist and start a journalism company because I really liked the the podcast. And I was just figuring a lot of things out and investing a lot of, of energy into myself in a very positive way. Um, and then, you know, I, I, the, the podcast kept changing and it, and it went from us just getting drunk and being idiots to like really kind of diving deep into myself and looking for answers and, and finding, you know, finding other like anarchists, like, you know, like yourself. Um, and I remember that that summer was when I, when I found your show because I, I was, uh, my buddy, uh, Mick Guzman, he used to have a show called the postal poet. We were, we were all kind of diving deep, deep into the trivium method, him, my buddy, Will and I, um, and we were listening to Gino Denning. Um, and then I found, and really getting into Jan Irvin's work. And then I found, uh, two beers with Steve. And I found like, like Steve had all these similar interests that I had, but he just had a show. Cause I remember he had uh like the web of debt, um, 
author on like some of, some of his older shows sure. and it was like books that I'd already read. And I was like, man, I, I feel like I'm on the same path as this. And then I'm like looking and two beers of Steve changes its name to choice conversations. And then I started like listening to this show and finding this show. And, and so like, and I remember like finding it, I was in like the uh, lunchroom at Best Buy. Cause I was working, I ended up w- w- taking a full-time position at Best Buy because it was like, well, I just need to be able to pay my bills. Um, and I was kind of, um, and I was making it happen. Like it, it was, it was, I kind of look back on that year. Like it was a really tough year, but it really helped me build myself up. Um, and then what ended up happening was, is I get this call from that guy in January and he's like, Hey, you know, we want to offer you a job again at Time Warner. So I came in for the interview and I went from making like, you know, I think I made, I went from making like 18 grand a year to like a really good sales job. Um, that's like business to business sales job. And I ended up making about, you know, a hundred grand a year. So, and, and I took that job and I was really kind of on the fence about it, but it was only 40 hours a week. And I was like, you know what? I could take this money because I don't think this job's going to last more than two years because it's way too easy. Um, like, I just remember like my buddies at Verizon just making stupid money and saying how easy it was. And I'm like, this, this gig probably isn't going to last for more than two years. I just don't think it's going to happen. Like it's, you, you don't, you don't sit at a desk and answer the phone for 40 hours a week and get a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like you can, you could pay a lot of different people to do that job. Mm. So I was like, but, but I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this job with the intention of, building up businesses or, or exploring entrepreneurial ideas. And now I can afford to fund these ideas. Um, so I took this job with time Warner and we started going more into the, the comedy shows. I got my license back. I got, uh, which was pretty crazy. Cause I think I went almost two years without having a driver's license. So I drove illegally for a year, which is how I, I really found Nathan Frazier um, cause I heard him on red ice radio and he was he, back when Nathan, before Nathan was talking about entrepreneurship and sales copy, he was, you know, going to court and challenging jurisdiction and getting cases thrown out. And I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have money to, uh, pay a ticket. I didn't have money to get my license. So I was like, so I do have time. And so I, I, I just listened to a lot of his shows and, um, and so at, you know, so it, you know, I, I, so I'd finally have my license back. Um, we have this big show coming up in Toronto and it's going to be the first time I'd actually go up there, which had been like this dream of mine, um, in this time when I was broke was to get up there and, and put on these shows. Um, so we keep, I get up there, we keep doing these shows and then we start doing shows here and it's just not, it's really fun, man. But I just kind of realized like, I'm, you know, we're, we're doing these shows. We, we ended up opening this club in Toronto and I just realized that, you know, man, like I have really good entrepreneurial skills. I help out my friends that have their own businesses and I pretty much help them for free. Cause I, uh, you know, I, at the same time that I was doing that, I was helping my buddy Joel out with his farming business. Cause I really had this, I, you know, I really had, that was one of the things I wanted to get into that summer was urban farming, um, but instead I went down the path of comedy shows cause I didn't have a yard or anything, um, like back in 2013. And, and so I, I kind of was at this crossroads and I'd, and I'd help my friend open his club in Toronto and 
became this minority owner and was like, you know, I really need to start focusing on me. I really need to like, if, you know, I don't have anything in place yet for that day when we get laid off. Um, so in, in com- the Comcast thing had already started. So we, we'd figured we were already going to get laid off. And then when that Comcast merger with Time Warner didn't go through, it kind of bought me an extra year. Um, cause I almost had that job for three years. Um, so in the meantime, like, you know, I, I start investing all my money into farming and I start investing money into getting an education and I, I changed the podcast up, um, from trying to, from exploring Liberty and trying to promote comedy to really focusing in on like these small scale farmers that were making it work. And they were, you know, whether it be like Curtis Stone or Jean-Martin Fortier or Fortier or, uh, just different people. Like I, and then I, um, I, from talking at the end of that season, I'd, I'd gotten Curtis's course. Um, and then Diego Footer, who's the host of Permaculture Voices, was putting on this Permaculture Voices conference. And it was the last one that he's ever going to do. Um, and so I got there and I had this like chance to go network. So first I went to LA and I hung out with my friend Dean Del Rey, who's a comic. And, and actually like Red Band had wanted me to stay out there and come to these shows. Cause I, and it was kind of like, I, I had this weird crossroad to where, okay, I could go to LA and I could go to the show and I could meet like Bill Burr and probably meet Joe Rogan and all these people. Or I could go down to San Diego, drive down the highway as planned and focus on this because I think this is where my real opportunity lies. Um, so I, I made the decision, like I hung out with Dean, um, and I think we went, I went with him to like Jay Moore's sports show. And it kind of like, it was kind of like this moment when I actually got out to LA and realized like all this networking I'd done, not in LA, but in like Toronto and in Columbus and all these comedy shows and people would come, these comics would come near me was, I didn't realize like kind of like how much I'd built up credibility wise with these people. And like, just by being like a regular person, and it was this big this kind of like eye-opening moment for me of like my networking skills that I hadn't really thought of and I hadn't really given myself credit for or like that I who what my role was of like being a a community builder or being a person that wants to help build a community and it's and I'm a lot better at it in person I think online I don't know Chris I I tend to turn into an asshole and I start trolling <laughs> cuz people piss me off and it's easier it's not there's not a human thing like in person I'm not going to you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to listen to you. I'll probably interrupt you a bunch of times just because I'm excited to talk to you. But then I try to tie it back into what you were just talking about. Um, so, so yeah, man. So, so then, um, you know, I'm, I'm in San Diego and there's all these people that are just doing it. Like I, I interviewed this guy, Neil Spackman, who's green in the desert. I interviewed another farmer who does microgreens, um, my buddy, Chris Throw. And just networked, like really got in there and networked and kind of would work rooms and get to know everyone and made sure there's always like a party going on and, you know, making sure people are having fun, like trying to make people feel comfortable. Um, and so from there, uh, we leave the conference and then me and Scott Hebert decide that we're going to, we were accountability partners in this course and we're going to turn it into a podcast and try to map out our first season. And then, so from there, like I'm, I'm trying to run this business, uh, part-time farming and I'm working still, you know, away from my home 50 hours a week, including lunch and 
man, that just really wore me out. So my first season of farming, like I, you've, you've been in my spot. It's just a 15th of an acre mm-hmm. and I don't, I'm, I'm trying to put infrastructure up and it's like, I'm half-assing a lot of stuff because I, I can only give less than half my time. And I don't even realize that I'm half-assing it. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but I was making money and I was making money and it was like, I, I had opportunities to make money with that business and I, I just burned out hard and realized if I, if I had my time um, fully uh, focused on farming or that was my, like my number one source of income, like I could, I could have made a lot more money and I could have made it work a lot better. And, and it was kind of like this light at the end of the tunnel. Now, the only thing that kind of for me that wasn't wasn't really working was I, I, I wasn't very good at the time with having my finances um, saved. Like I, I was putting all my money into that business and I, I didn't have any accounting systems. I didn't have a lot of stuff, um, which I which I figured out uh, now this year, which is just less than a year later. Um, but I, I mean, so so one thing for me was and I, and I lost sight of the fact that I started doing that business um, to have an incubator, to have it as a back burner. And I'd, and I'd burned out, Chris. I had, I thought I wanted to move to my buddy's property and I was going to move out of my house and I was just going to try to force a situation. And, you know, thankfully, because I'd been surrounding myself with such good friends that are, you know, more liberty leaning and were either already self-employed or think similar like-minded, I had enough people to kind of talk me out of it and say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing? And so, um, the season's over, I'm really burned out and I keep having these conversations with people about like, how can I, how can I quit my job? Like, how can I justify walking away from, you know, a hundred grand a year? Like it's, and it's when a, when a company pays you a hundred grand a year, they, they really do kind of own you. Um, especially if you're working 40 hours or less, like it, it, you know, when I when I relook at it, if I wasn't so headstrong or I wasn't so focused on quitting, um, you know, I, I think it'd be good to have a part time business. But I I, I kind of revisit this question a lot, Chris, and you and I talked about it. Is is it really worth quitting the rat race if if you can dictate your own schedule um, and you have somebody else that handles all the other responsibilities and they pay you very well? Um, and you can work from home, kind of like your situation. And it's so I think everybody's situation is different. I mean, if you can get a good gig where you don't have people telling you what to do all the time and you have a lot of freedom in that job, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to stay there. I don't I don't think it is. And I, a part of me was so committed to because I, I had to prove to myself that I could do this and I could pay my bills with my own business or my own efforts without an, an employer. Um, I think that's why I'm so headstrong about it. But, um, so, but, you know, speeding up to my story, man, and I hope this is all making sense and, and I'm making <laughs> myself clear because I've just been kind of rattling away here. Um, so I, I keep having these conversations like Greg Burns and I, we keep having this conversation. We keep having this conversation about, can I quit? Can I do this? And Greg keeps saying, Drew, you're making a lot of money. I don't know if that's a good idea. Like you are making really good money. And my dad would say the same thing. And, um, 
and Greg was just, you know, kind of saying like, you know, do you think you, you can do this? Do you think you're ready to do this? I mean, that's up to you. And then I was talking to my buddy, Eric, who used to own my house. And he goes, dude, you're going to get laid off. I mean, they can pay somebody $13 an hour to do what you guys are doing. I mean, you're, you're making way too much money there. And so Eric and I have this conversation. We're at, we're actually pre-gaming. We're like tailgating at this OSU game. The next day we go and uh, inoculate mushroom logs at, logs at this Ohio GSD event. Um, Monday we come in and at this point at, at the office, like I, I, cause I would always hit my numbers and I, and I, and I had a great boss. Like I got a really good bad situation, which is the best way I like to describe it. But I was, I was wearing flannel shirts. Uh, with my dress pants because the the dress code said business casual with a collared shirt. Um, <laughs> so I just wear flannel shirts all the time because it was getting colder. Mm-hmm. And my boss makes a point of saying on Monday, it was like November 1st, um, you know, the big weeks from charter coming in, make sure you, you don't wear that flannel. So we come in the next day and I wore a flannel just as a jacket because it was cold. And I had a shirt on underneath and something's really weird. Like they say, we had, so we had this thing, a queue, and basically people would just call a number and we would answer it and sell. Um, they're like, don't log into the queue, just clock in. Um, we were having a meeting and there's like, there's a lot of HR people around. And my buddy Steve is just like, uh, hey, we're getting laid off today. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, this is like my fourth time going through it. Because Steve, he's he's older. I think Steve's like 40. He's like 44, 45. He's older than me. And Steve's, you know, a lot of Gen Xers that have been in corporate America for a while, especially sales, have been through quite a few layoffs. I think just in general, I think Generation X really has gotten the shitty end of the stick when it comes to, as a generation, like when you're sold that lie and then you just keep following, playing the rules correctly and nobody gives a shit and you keep getting laid off. I feel like that's most of my friends in the Generation X uh, generation. Yep, I'm Generation X and I've definitely been laid off before. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. And the, and so, and I think a lot of, in a, like as like a an older millennial or young Gen X, like I'm in that in-between range, like I'm, I'm surprised this is the first time that I got laid off. So the guy gets in front of the room. Um, he's like the VP of uh, telesales or the call centers. And he goes, hey, guys, I don't have good news today. We're closing on the call center today. And I have this like weird feeling of fear that I... But then it was like I, I couldn't escape it, even though like I'd been spending the last three years preparing for this moment again, like knowing that someday... I'm not going to have this job. Like I knew I was going to get laid off eventually. I just knew it. There, there was no way we we're going to keep making that money. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun at that job. Like I didn't take, I made good money and I would, I mean, I wasn't the most responsible person. Like I'd go on lunch and me and my buddy would, would have beers, especially during the winter season when it was slow. We'd get a little drunk and go back to work and nobody would say shit to us. So we'd still like make money and all this stuff. So anyways, um, it's 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 just it was just kind of like this surreal moment and i felt really bad for every like i I, i'd been like the guy who was screaming at the top of his lungs we're gonna get laid off we're gonna get laid off and i felt like nobody was listening and then i felt like i started to believe it myself that we weren't going to and then we got laid off and it was it was weird because i i was 
my plan to get out of the rat race was always to have something for when I got laid off. And I'd forgotten it, and I was trying to figure out a way to escape it, but it it was the best situation ever. Like, I was trying to figure out a way that I could get unemployment and have some a nice little nest egg saved up. Because I'd been spending a lot of money trying to, on the business um, and just kind of enjoying my life. Like, I wasn't the most... I wasn't as frugal as I probably should have been. Um, but I like to travel a lot and I, you know, and I, I just always knew I could make money. So I wasn't the best saver um, when I had that, that job. Well, I saved money, but it was like, I wasn't like a lot, like I wasn't an aggressive saver. Right. And so, so we ended up getting a severance package. I ended up like making, it was a pretty good severance package. Um, and then I got full unemployment too. And then it just was, you know, so my transition, oddly enough, Chris, was I had, f- it was like I, I, my transition was kind of planned on getting laid off and having something in place for when I got laid off. But then even then, like there was still a lot of psychological stuff I had to deal with. And it was like, luckily it was the winter time, the season was over. So I had a ton of time to process um, what had just happened. I had a lot of time to process my farming season uh, what I needed to do to make money. But, I, you know, it's still, it kind of, it was weird. Like I didn't have a lot of confidence towards uh, going to the off season because I got so burned out. So um, it was like a really interesting time. Like I, I own my time. Uh, I I had places I could travel to for cheap and kind of like I went to Florida quite a bit. Um and I, and I just started with something that I knew I needed to do because I hadn't filed for my taxes in like five years. Because when I first went to uh, Verizon, I'd, I'd cashed out my 401k. And I thought, I was pretty sure, and I, I still am, I'm pretty sure Fidelity somehow screwed me out of a bunch of money. Um, because they reported to the IRS that I they gave me $30,000. But I know for a fact that they kept the 10% penalty and I had him hold other money for my taxes too, because I didn't get thirty grand. But I don't know; it's all back in the day. And now, and I knew I owed all these taxes. So through sorting it out um, and trying to figure out a way that I could actually run my business with a good accounting system, because I had no idea about accounting. Like I was, I was paying bookkeepers like a stupid amount of money an hour, like at least twenty bucks an hour. Uh, one bookkeeper, I paid 40 bucks an hour to, to get my comedy stuff figured out. And I'd been trying to get my taxes sorted out. So I, I discovered uh profit first. Um, actually Kevin Geary turned me on to profit first and it was, you know, for anybody that hasn't checked it out, check out Mike McCallowitz's book. Um, he's got a podcast too. So I started, you know, wanting to figure out how to have this accounting system. And it was like, that was like a big thing. For me, that was super intimidating because it was like, well, how do I cash flow a business? How do I do? Like, I know I can sell, but, and I know I can market, but how do I do bookkeeping? How do I do, how do I, how do I know that, you know, it's, it's weird. Like when people start business, they think that it means that they can consume and they can just write off all their consumption, which in a way you can, but people just get stupid about it. Like people will spend, you know, $30 to save $10 or something weird like that. And it, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't make sense. You're still at a net loss. Um, and so I started reading Mike's books and I started just really going into reading these books and I started focusing on, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed myself too. I mean, I, I wanted to, I spent a lot of time with family. I spent some time with, 
I started spending time with my grandparents who I hadn't spent time with in a while. I took, I think I was gone for like the whole month of, uh, like from like mid December till the end of January. I wasn't even in, I wasn't even at my home. Like I was just traveling and I was just spending a lot of time, like working things out in my brain and figuring out, you know, getting this confidence. Like, can I do this? Like, can I really do this on my own? Can I really not go back and get another job? Can I really bet on myself? Um, because that was like the scariest thing for me, man, was can I bet, can I bet on myself? Um, I feel like I just keep talking, man. Do you have any questions or anything, Chris? I'm sorry. Am I, am I making myself clear? Well, first of all, you win the award for the longest backstory, the longest journey to get in. So <laughs> I often start <laughs> off podcasts by saying, you know, tell us how you got here. Tell us your journey or, you know, set the stage. And people are like, oh man, we could spend the whole show on that. And I'm like, hey, that's fine. You know, do someday somebody's going to take me up on that. Do your best, you know? And it's usually like, five minutes tops right <laughs> so no i definitely just went for about 30 minutes 34 yeah. minutes on it and yeah. i i hope i made myself clear for the listeners and told a good story um well but that, that kind of gets me to where i am now and and but keep going i'm sorry right so what i was going to say is that the question to me is um you know are you cash flow positive is the money coming in covering the money that has to go out for your business and i guess what would you say has been your your strategy to, to make it happen. Right. So there, there are multiple ways to get financial freedom. Um, I know that Jake DeSillis has, has, uh, talked about this a lot. I think he outlines four different ways and, um, you know, we can, yeah, I, I, and I actually had him on the podcast talking about it. Um, during the, when I was in Florida once, him and I talked about what his motivation was, is like his, his fear to fail, his fear of failure and not being successful and, and having to go back to something else was a huge motivation for me too. Like that was something that really inspired me. I don't know. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, Chris. That's a Drew move. No. So I guess it sounds to me like, you know, what you've done, you've, you've created your own business, this urban farming business. Mm-hmm. And it's not making a ton of money. You don't have like a big factory farm, right? You've got a little 15th of an acre, but you're able to be cash flow positive because you've really made some efforts to keep your, your cost down, right? So you've absolutely your cost of living, your cost for your business. All these things are, are really low. You're not paying like high, high dollar accountants and, and things of that nature. You're, you're finding tools online that, you know, basically, um, outsourcing these jobs to software, right? To that, uh, otherwise, you know, people used to, when you started a business, you'd have all this money for, you know, secretaries and accountants and lawyers and all this stuff. And right now there's, there's websites and uh, software that could basically for just a small fraction of the cost, give you all of that kind of stuff. Right. So is, is that what you would say you've really, your, your key has been, has been, uh, to put it in like in your words, not being stupid with your expenses. You know, and just- yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it was interesting too. And something I didn't bring up and we talked about a little bit when you came here um, was, you know, my conversation with Javin, like I, I was in Javin's course uh, in the middle of getting laid off and I was just going over like how, you know, he's Canadian. So he says funny things like how I could reduce my burn rate is what he called it. 
So I got laid off and, you know, one of my biggest expenses was my mortgage or was my rent because I was paying like 600 a month. And I, it, for some reason, I never thought I could own a house. And even like people told me I should buy a house when I worked at Time Warner. And I, I didn't feel like I had secure income because somebody else was in charge of it. So I never thought comfortable enough to like start a family or get a serious girlfriend or, um, you know, it, to buy a house. Um, and so what happened was, is one of the guys I'd met at Permaculture Voices was this, this badass dude who had a lot the size of mine, was doing all this cool permaculture stuff. So we, and for anybody that's not familiar with permaculture, um, you know, if you check out my podcast, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of good links. I mean, I check out Jeff Lawton, but, uh, there's a really good, if you go to Jeff, if you just Google search Jeff Lawton, Eric Tonesmeyer, you can see, um, this, this guy, Eric Tonesmeyer wrote this book, Paradise Lot, and he's got all these edible perennial plants in, um, uh, I think he's in, he's in one of those weird East coast, one of those weird New England States. Um, but this guy that, uh, I met from Connecticut had, you know, he, he'd taken a, a Jeff Lawton PDC, which is just a perma, permaculture design certification. And he was training a lot with, with Eric Tonesmeyer. Like he was helping out in his property and, and talking to Eric about his approach and, uh, you know, Rich had actually audited um, this Eric's agroforestry coach at or course at Yale. So it, you know, Rich Rich really knew what he was doing. He was he was doing some really cool urban homesteading, and um, he was actually looking for a way to get to Ohio. Like Connecticut has some pretty uh, messed up gun laws, and it, it, the the situation. He was a full time caregiver for his father who has dementia and, and the state was basically taking over custody of his father because different reasons. And it was, you know, so rich, rich needed to move out of his father's house. And so I get a call, I get a text, I'm in Florida and I get this text and I've been thinking about it because Richard, he had started listening to the show and him and I talked for like an hour and he's like, Hey man, I need you to help me get to Ohio. And I go, well, yeah, dude, let's, let's figure it out. And then I was just thinking about it. Like, uh, you know, my friend, Greg, uh, Burns, who's like, he's like my brother from another mother. Greg goes, Hey man, uh, rich has the greenest thumb that I know. He can pretty much help you figure out how to grow anything. And, uh, I think he, he could really help you out. I was trying to work something out with rich to come and help me on my property. Uh, it didn't work out. Essentially I wrote a cash. So I couldn't check or a, a check. I couldn't cash. What's wrong with me? And so I, I'd been linked up with Rich, and uh, and it was just kind of like I'd, I'd finished Javin's course. And I had this idea of, you know, I if I had help, it'd be so much easier. But how am I going to pay someone? I can't afford to pay anybody help. So Rich had actually offered the idea of a living situation where he would live here and essentially give me twenty hours of work a week, and he would just basically live here for free. And I was totally down to barter that. So. It was funny that you said, you know, I've outsourced, you know, my accounting to QuickBooks and legal stuff. So, you know, how do you, how do you legally do this? Like, so how do you put this in writing? So we have contracts to protect ourselves, to protect our friendship. Um, so my friend who's a, a recovering lawyer, who's trying to close down his firm, wrote a basic contract and said, you need a contract to cover like your lease, this and that. And he said, so what does your lease say about renting out your space or subleasing it to rich. And I said, well, I don't have a lease. 
And I said that kind of proud, like, I don't, I don't do that type of stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't. And then he goes, why are you proud of that? I go, well, cause I don't, you know, I'm not committed to it. He goes, yeah, what if your, what if your landlord dies? Like, what are you going to do then? You're just squatting on property. They're going to kick you out. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. And so through that, I was like, you know, I don't own this property. Like I don't own this. I'm doing all this work here and I don't even own it. So what is my end goal here? So I decided, I knew Eric was looking to get some cash. So I, I hit him up and was like, Hey, you said you were willing to sell this house before for 50 grand. Are you still down for that? And he said, mm, let me think about it. And then he said, if you can do it within the next two months, it's yours. So then I just start going down a list of people that I could think to co-sign a mortgage with me. Um, so my parents, and then my mom recommended me talk to another family member. So I talked to him and he made a cash offer on the house. Um, Eric declined it. And then he made a final offer and Eric accepted it. And he said to me, I'm not buying this house for you. You are going to legally buy it from me. So then I had to figure out how to legally have a mortgage with a family member. And, uh, Rich had actually said that you could you could do it. So, um, so now I have like a legal mortgage. It, it took my rent from six hundred a month to a mortgage of three ten a month. So I reduced expenses quite a bit. At the same time, I'm trading this now property that I own. I'm trading space in it for labor for high highly skilled labor. Um, I would not be where I am if I didn't have Rich living with me. I wouldn't be as successful if I didn't have Rich here. I couldn't just focus on sales. I couldn't just focus on networking with restaurants like I am now to sell microgreens and other produce if, if I didn't have Rich here. Um, so this is, it's, it's, it's just really weird when I took the time to plan things out in between seasons and I didn't get started as fast as I did with cash flow. And a lot of that had to do with unemployment. But I mean, I th- I don't man I just started talking Chris and I hope I answered your question. So but I, I'm, I, I'm just doing some math here. So this is like a pretty genius move that you got this property. So right now you're paying three hundred dollars a month for your mortgage. Is that right? Or something close to that? Three three ten forty nine. Three ten forty nine. So we're looking at so fifty two weeks. Fifty two weeks times twenty hours is a uh, thousand thousand hours and 40 hours a week or I'm, I'm sorry a thousand out a thousand hours and 40 for a year divide that to by 12 you're looking at 86.67 hours a week i'm sorry hours a month so 310 dollars divided by 86.67 hours in a month so you're getting labor right now at basically this $310 a month, you're getting labor. It's you're basically $357, um, round up $3.58 an hour is what you'd effectively be paying rich. But yeah, but yeah, so that alone's a good deal. You're getting a guy that's working and he's doing a great job for you. He's doing renovations to your property, improving the value of your property, improving the value of your, your, um, you know, your business. Cause you know, I've seen, I've seen your, your urban farm and seeing the work he does. Rich not only has a green thumb, but he's also very handy and does yeah. great work building structures and stuff that you need for your permaculture and the like. 
So you're getting them for like dirt cheap, you know, less than minimum wage, three fifty seven an hour. Yeah, but it's not that three ten isn't just his wages. It's also the roof over your head. So three ten yeah. just for like rent for just you're renting a house. Three ten is pretty great for like pretty much anywhere in America, right? So that's awesome. Yeah. Like you said, you were paying for the exact same place as your as a renter, where you're just throwing your money away. Whereas, you know, if if you're buying the place, if it's your mortgage, you're you're paying off the, the debt, and eventually it's going to be yours, right? So you just you drop that from six hundred and something to three ten. Mm-hmm. So that right there, roof over your head for dirt cheap, and then oh hello, this isn't just your residence; it's also your business too. So you don't have to pay like additional money to on a mortgage or on rent to buy uh, land for your farm or whatever, you know, buildings and the like. So right there, finding this opportunity where you could go out, you, you find somebody who's willing to sell you this house for dirt cheap. There's that. Yeah. Um, you find yeah, it was a little bit below market value. I think it was a good deal that he, I mean, it was cash. There was no well, banks involved. It was perfect. Right, right. So when you get all that stuff in, in place, then you also were able to find a family member that was willing to work with you on this. You found mm-hmm. Rich that's willing to enter in this this agree- arrangement with you. You put all this together. I mean, a lot of this, it sounds like uh, looking for opportunities and being open to and, and thinking outside the box. There's that. There's also, you talked a lot about networking earlier on and just people skills and sales skills. I, I mean, convincing somebody to do something like buy a house for you and, and, you know, op- allow you to like mortgage it off of them. Right. I mean, that's, you're, you're selling to them, right? You're selling them on that idea of, Hey, buy this, this house for me. All of this. You know, convince, convincing somebody of anything is, is, is selling, right? So, it, it, and actually, it didn't take much convincing. I mean, it was like basically, Rich came up with the initial idea. I made an offer to to work something out so he could he could live here and we could work something out. And he recommended that, and he puts in more than twenty hours a week. I mean, easy. So I, I mean, try this, to tell him to work less. Yeah. So the numbers are just getting better when you tell me stuff like this. So yeah, I'm sure if you sucked at selling. And didn't have people skills, like oh, none of this would have happened. None of this would happen, right? And it's, no. it's your networking, it's your people skills, it's your selling, and being open to new ideas, and being um, very conscious of that of your budget and the bottom line, and to keep your expenses really low. I mean, one yeah. of the ways towards leaving the rat race is uh, like one of them is called extreme savings. Now, this is this isn't exactly extreme savings. Extreme savings is where you get your expenses dirt cheap and you're putting away like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80% of what you make into savings and you keep your, your, um, expenses dirt cheap. And it's like, it really doesn't take that long where like, I think it's like 10 years of something, 10 years of putting away 80% of what you make. Yeah. It's something like that. 10, and you're able to then quit and just live off the savings as long as you keep your expenses really low. So. You know, it's one of these things where like right now I've got a job, but I'm getting paid really, really well and I'm putting a fair amount away. I'm not putting 80% away, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living, living really well, living a nice, you know, upper middle class lifestyle, doing a lot of traveling. But you're Um, still really frugal, man. I mean, we hung out and we were both like, it's supposedly the best restaurant in BG, but we think it's expensive and I seriously doubt the quality. So we're like... Let's go to this lower lower one instead. I mean, we right, just yeah. had, and it was happy, oh, happy hour. hour. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we're <laughs> like, perfect. We could just perfect. have these cheap appetizers for, uh, 
you know, for a fraction of the cost. And, um, at any rate, yeah. But so, yeah, but I mean, we're frugal and I'm, you know, as far as you look, if, maybe from a percentage standpoint, I'm not putting away like anything close to what you would qualify as an extreme saver. Right. But as far as like the dollar amount of what I'm putting away, I'm, I'm saving a lot more than what the vast majority of Americans are saving. Right. And so, uh, to get to my point, I was just looking at, how much me and my wife had put away because me and my wife have been talking about early retirement. We're both in our, um, you know, closer to 40 than we are 50. Right. And yeah. we we're talking about early retirement. I'm like, you know, honey, we can retire right now if we just cut expenses. I mean, easily. So, you know, what would that look like? It would be, you know, in America, it would be like getting a, a, a trailer maybe, or, uh, you know, finding some op looking around for an opportunity like you have, you know, where you can get a house dirt cheap, buying it with cash kind of thing. Um, but also there's, there's other, like going abroad, we wouldn't really even have to necessarily lower our standard of living or even, um, in some cases, um, in some ways that you would measure it, raise our standard of living by going somewhere where it's just really cheap and, um, you know, having access to like you know, walk to the beach and things like, you know, where we don't have right here in, in, uh, you know, Cary, North Carolina. Uh, the, so we, we could, you know, right now, if we just cut our expenses, um, you know, we, that's like one method to financial freedom, right? It's just saving up money and cutting expense, cutting expenses, or in your case, having a cutting expenses and having a business where you figured out how to keep the expenses for that business really low, doing some really innovative stuff. And then yeah. it doesn't take that much money then that where your bills are paid and you've got your financial freedom, right? You're now in control of your time. Yeah. You're now, the work you're doing is all for yourself. Correct. Any investments you make in the property, any investments you make into yourself, the skills you're learning, it's all an investment into your own business, what, in what you own. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and I need, I need to spend more time here now. Like I, I, I think. I got, I like to travel quite a bit. I like to see my family. I like to experience things, but I think there's a season for that. And I think, I think, you know, I, I need, I definitely need to spend more time around the house. It would save me money and then I could work on more things here, like just getting, you know, shit, keeping things cleaner or just doing anything. And I think I, I'm, I'm trying to, it's that's another transition I'm trying to make now. It's just being more of a homebody, like spending more time at the house, working, investing more time into whether it be the podcast or anything. Cause it's like, I, I do my podcast, but man, I'm really hands off at that right now. Like I, I recorded an episode last night and that was fun. And I'm recording this one with you and this is fun. So it's, I think there's, you know, it's, it's, I need to buckle down more and I need to, it's cause I, I started, I, I do work outside of the farm part-time, like extremely part-time, but it's like a, a pretty good uh, cash situation. Um, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm working for somebody else who's actually really respect as an entrepreneur, um, but it's just, you know, I could be taking that same time, putting it into, like, it's nice now to have the extra cash um, just in case. I'm doing it more so for like savings, um, cause I had to get a new roof. I think, uh, oh no, I got a new roof right before I came up Thursday and hung out with you. And that was kind of like a, oh shit moment for me. Cause I did have money in savings still, but it was like this, oh shit moment for me. Um, cause I'm not saving a lot of money with the farm right now. Mm. Like I'm 
surviving with the farm right now, if that makes sense. Right. You didn't have a buffer to, you know, weather a storm, basically. This part-time job is giving you that buffer. Yeah. And I, and I have like some savings to weather the storm, but it's like, okay, I, I'm just, I'm going to deplete this. Like insurance didn't pay for the full thing yet. I have the money to pay the roofing company. I'm still working out my taxes. So it's like, I need this extra income, but it's, you know, but everything's kind of working out, man. I mean, like sales started increasing in the business and this is an interesting story too, man. So, um, this is kind of a funny story. So last season, because most of my, so, okay. So I, I sell to three restaurants and they're, and I'm, I'm going to probably sell to more than I'm in two farmers markets, but the first I, I I got into one restaurant and and that one restaurant via that one I got into another one and then from that restaurant I got referred to another one. So the one restaurant turned into three via referrals. So they're nice warm handoffs. So people already want to work with me because they're getting warm recommendations from the other chefs. So it's an easier networking is always the easier sales approach versus me coming in and hitting the pavement hard, which I can do, but I just don't want to. I don't think like if I had to do that, I will. Like, and I did. I have gotten sales from doing that too. But I, it's I, I, there's just better ways that I can spend my time. Um, and so last year, you know, like I said, when I was burning out, I was trying to date, and I was like kind of lonely, and I wanted to date and find my future wife and all that shit, which I'd go through quite a bit. So I met this this girl on Plenty of Fish, and I like fell in love with her, and she was this bartender, and I I turned into that guy that goes to the bar and drinks while his girlfriend's working. And it wasn't like I would do every shift, but it was just like, I f- you know, you get, I'd get drunk and then I'd be an asshole and it wasn't really an asshole, but it was just like, I just, it wasn't a good look for me. That's also not really saving a lot of money either. Well, yeah. I mean, she, w- she was giving me discounted drinks, but yeah, I mean, it's, but it's, it's just not something I want to do anymore. And I was kind of like falling into the same path that I used to be on before. Um, like I was going down the same, I felt myself going down the same road that I went on before I got the DUI. Right. Right. So I wasn't drinking and driving, but you know, Uber gets pretty expensive, just like what you said, or, you know, late night eating. So it's not healthy. There's a lot of bad things about it. But one night I go and I see her and there's this guy who's wearing uh, kitchen clothes. So I strike up a conversation with him like because i was like hey i could probably sell to this restaurant and i was trying to get into restaurants at the time um and so him and i talk and we we just kind of bullshit we talk about food for a long time and then i get a warm lead into this restaurant that i'm in now and which is like my first restaurant and because one thing that had happened was i was selling to my buddy's restaurant and then right at the beginning of this season I had this commitment from him for 40 pounds a week of salad mix and that went down to 12 a week, then 12 every other week to nothing because it was like something happened. Like uh, the cost of salad mix went way down because of this hydroponic operation. So I sell for $8 a pound and they were getting three pounds. They were getting $4 a pound. And it was just one of those things to where I hadn't planned for that. So that's when I decided to really just focus hard on microgreens. Um, and so I had got into this restaurant and this guy makes this introduction. It goes, well, they love my microgreens. This is last year. They place an order, they pay me and that's it. Like, I don't hear anything else from them for a while. Um, and then going into the spring, um, I start like forging ramps and I sell them ramps. And then from there, it just kind of built. 
But the whole thing is, is had I not made that bad decision to date that girl, it's funny, like, cause every, it, you were saying how I look for opportunities and I have the skill set to take advantage of them. And it's like, but had I not made that bad decision, I wouldn't be six. There's no way I'd be making the money that I'm making in this business from these restaurants. I wouldn't have gotten into those restaurants. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe I would have, but it, you know, I don't want to say never cause I don't know, but it's just always interesting, man. Like you don't, it, it's interesting to think about why having a good attitude is so important or staying positive or, or knowing how to look for opportunity that presents itself to you. Sure. Yeah. Being agile enough to take advantage of those opportunities and, and uh, aware and creative enough to see the opportunities that are out there. Absolutely. And, and cause the funny thing is that guy doesn't work at that restaurant anymore. I don't talk to that girl anymore, but for some reason, like it was all brought to me and here I am. And now I can pay my bills and I'm on your podcast talking about, you know, how I'm beating the rat race. And, and so, I mean, it's uh it's a pretty, I don't know. It's pretty fascinating to me, man. I just, I think that story's funny because I, I was so broken up by that girl. And I remember friends asking me what I was doing and, and everything like that. And then it's like, well, I did get something good out of it. So it's just funny to me. Right. So this podcast is getting a little long in the tooth, but uh, <laughs> before I let you go, if you would say, you know, there's a listener out there and they're wanting to get out of their job, they're wanting to break free from the rat race, they want the, the personal freedom, um, they want to be investing in, in themselves rather than in, in some corporation that's probably just going to lay them off the next, you know, the next merger, right? So what kind of advice would you give like what what what's one or two things that you would recommend man so i mean all i did was i i started trying to figure out how i could turn hobbies into businesses like something like is is there a viable opportunity here because i think that the hardest thing for me was finding something that i was actually interested in like finding something like i knew i had the skills and i had the spirit to run a to be an entrepreneur but i didn't know what it was in like i didn't i didn't know for what so i i would say you know figure out what 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 skills you have and then figure out how you can leverage those skills like i had a skill of sales like that's my skill um to me it wasn't hard to grow vegetables even though people are like you have a green thumb i don't know how you do it it's like man you you put the seeds in the ground and then you water them they want to live so (laughs) It's not, it's not, I mean, there's different techniques for microgreens, like microgreens are a lot more difficult, but even then it's just, it's just doing it. Um, so I, I, you know, so that's, that's it, man. I I think figure out what skills you have, then figure out how you can, how you can turn that skill into a business. I think the E-Myth is a great book for people to read. Um, and I, I actually haven't really finished it, but somebody said to me, like I have the opposite problem of that business. Like I had this entrepreneur spirit but I didn't have like the, the other skills of like farming or doing this stuff that I really wanted to do. So I found somebody to do it. So figure out what resources you have and then figure out how, yeah, yeah. Like it was the opposite problem. So figure out what resources you have and then figure out how you can leverage them, figure out what you really need to, to live. Um, and I think, I think that's just it. I mean, like, I think for you, I mean, that's something, you know, you're thinking about and you have some really good ideas for yourself and, uh, I mean, you're a smart guy, man. I, I don't, 
you'll, you'll, hey, whatever you do, man, I know you're going to be successful. In, but I think for listeners, I mean, that's it. Like, figure out what, what you want to do and then just start doing it. And if you suck at it, who cares? At least you tried it. I mean, that's, I mean, to me, like the worst case scenario is I have to go get a job and probably make more money than I make now. But it's it's not about money for me. Like if I wanted to make money, I, w- I would go get a job. I mean, I've I've I have a really good network of friends that have good jobs now that also got laid off and are also like, hey man, if it doesn't work out, I can get you in. And that's a good feeling to have. But it's also I don't ever want to do that. Like my motivation is to never punch a clock for anybody else. So right. And you were given the gift of being laid off. Where I'm in that situation where I have yeah. a job that pays me really well. I have a lot of freedom. Like I have a lot of vacation time that I can use to travel. So I get five weeks vacation a year plus like 12 holidays a year and the like. Um, I work from home. I set my own schedule. I'm, I mean, I'm the boss. So like, and then you I can travel while you're working. Like you did it just recently. That's how we hung out. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, because I work from home, I can work from anywhere. I can, um, you know, because I'm the boss, if there's something I don't want to do, I can always delegate it. So, you know, I don't, I typically I'm just doing stuff that, um, I want to do on the job. Right. And so there's, there's a lot of good things going for this job and they're paying me so much money. It's like, it's just really hard to justify walking away from it. Right. I almost have to have like a business that I start on the side, just making, um, as much or more to justify it. And it's hard to get a business on the side that's doing that. If you're not able to leave your day job to fully concentrate on it. Right. Absolutely. So, so it's like you were given that gift though of of being laid off that uh, it you know is otherwise you probably just were never going to do it, right? No, I I made the decision right before that I wasn't going to. Yeah. Like I made that decision with Craig that you know, I need to figure out how to do less here on this business. I still want to do it, but I think like and then I I was actually starting to transition to aggregating, which I'm doing now, which is just basically f- selling other farmers stuff. Cause it's like, I know I can sell. Um, I don't have the time to necessarily grow when I was, when I was working full time, like it was just hard. Like it's, it's hard to do. I mean, certain people I know do it too. And it's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I can't do it because I don't, uh, to me, man, it's all about lifestyle and quality of life. And if I'm not, if, if I'm miserable, like I, I can be miserable and make money anywhere. I mean, that's not a problem for me. I mean, I could, <laughs> if I want if I want someone to treat me like shit, I'm going to go get a job. So that's, that's been a thing too. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with other people's asshole customers. And if, if you want to be an asshole customer with me, I just, I just don't care. Like there's a guy, um, you know, if, if there's, if there's somebody that like just even like coops around with me about like what kind of customer service you're trying to do, I'm like, I don't know, man, if, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Like it's, it's not going to change. I mean, I, I give pretty good customer service. I have one guy that breaks my balls about it. And I'm just like, yeah, I just don't care. Like if that's how it is, like you, you can, you can take it or not. And it's because it's for me, man, it's like, I don't, you know, it's, 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 um, it's not that I don't give, like, I obviously give good customer service, but it's just like, if, if you're going to be an asshole, I mean, I don't care how much money you're paying me. I'm not going to do business with you. Like there's chefs that, got shitty with me already this season that I just haven't even called back. I just don't even care because it's just like, if I can't hug you, I don't want to do business with you. Right, right. Yeah, and that's when you're working for yourself, you have that luxury of choosing who you're going to do business with where you you don't always have that opportunity if you're working for somebody else. So just one more benefit to, to taking the path of freedom to escaping the rat race, right? 
Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, hey, dude. Uh, thanks for having me on. I hope I hope you feel good about this podcast. I talked a whole lot, so I'm always worried. But people say I should do it more. I should talk more on podcasts, like my own show. But right. I do. I do have a podcast. If people want to listen. Um, I've been saying for a while now that I'm going to be putting out more content more consistently, but still working out the kinks in this business the first year and getting, it's not getting to the feeling where I don't feel overwhelmed, um, which I feel like I'm really close. Like I feel like I'm feeling less and less overwhelmed. Um, but you could check me out at samplehour.com. Um, you can friend me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. That's just Drew Sample. Um, you can follow my business on Instagram. It's at Capital City Gardens. Um, if you guys, it, there's contact info on my website. So if you guys do want to talk to me, love to talk to anybody. You can ask Chris. I have a, I have a pretty open door. So even if you're in Columbus and you want to hang out, hit me up. We'll, I'll meet you up and we can get coffee or drink. Like I, I think anybody that I meet that listens to me on a podcast, I, it's, it's a very special thing for me. Um, because I, 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 I think it's powerful when people hear my thoughts and I think it's powerful what, what podcasting has done with either decentralization of information and everything else like that. So if you listen to me here and you like what I have to say, you're my friend and we can hang out. So. Yeah. And I would just say that, you know, even if you're not really interested in urban farming or permaculture, you know, there's episodes like, you know, the sample hour 155 where you had on uh, Javin, and you talk yeah. about his, uh, you know, his, uh, basically his personal development course that you took, you know, um, the, taking a more of a holistic life design approach, which is, you know, right on theme with the things I talk about here at Choice Conversations. So there's definitely a lot of topics that the sample hour goes into and, um, and including personal development. So, you know, if you like Choice Conversations, you know, there's, there's episodes like that, like that. I don't know. Be sure to put a link to it in the show notes, like the one you yeah. did with and that, I like uh, to say it's a it's a more lowbrow version of this show. <laughs> it's like if it's like if it's some some uh, inappropriate foul mouth hillbilly running choice conversations. There you go. Yep. It would sound a lot like the sample hour. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Drew. It's been great talking to you, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs>